he had it all planned. They'd been dating about three years and they went to an expensive restaurant on the ocean for a beautiful dinner. After dinner, they went out back and on the patio, a string quartet was playing some soft music. They then walked down for a stroll on the beach. Sun was setting, it was a gorgeous sight. It was a perfect night. You can tell I've been watching the Hallmark Channel during COVID. And when they got down to the beach, they walked along the water, surf, the sound of the surf at their feet, the strings in the background. He got down on one knee, pulled out a ring, and said, hopefully, will you marry me? There was a moment of pause, and she smiled, started crying, and he started crying. And she said, I would love to, but, <laughs> and with that one word, his whole world imploded upon him because the right response is everything. Now, think of another guy and his girl. They're walking in a park. It's late December, and it's rather cold. They decide to get out of the cool evening air and so they walk a short distance back to her parents' house. They've been dating for three months. But the love was true and it was developing deep and they looked in each other's eyes. He knew that he loved her and wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. And it just came out. It was hardly planned. A proposal that was decided upon but on the spur of the moment in a clumsy fashion he said to her well I guess I'm asking and she said in a moment of brilliant humor and warm love well I guess I'm accepting and that proposal turned out right now what the second proposal lacked in class what it lacked in romance it achieved in its goal because that marriage has lasted over 45 years and still going, and I praise God for his grace. And you know, it's a lot like our relationship with the Lord. The right response is everything. God loves us with a love that cannot be described, but he uses the marriage metaphor to help clarify it, to explain it, so we would feel not just the fact of his love, but the emotion of his love. And he proposes to us great plans. Give me your heart, he says. Are you in? And we say to him, I would love to, but. And that wrong response causes our world to implode. In Jonah chapter 1, God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and Jonah gave him the wrong response. He ran from the presence of God and the mission that God had placed before him. But now when we come to Jonah chapter 3, after the huge storm in chapter 1, after Jonah spent time in the, in the fish and proposed a, a wonderful hymn, 
Now Jonah is ready for the right response. So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter three. And remember this, the right response is everything. In fact, in Jonah chapter three, every response that is chronicled in this chapter reveals a rather dramatic change. And there are at least three of them. Here's the first one. The prophet responds with, and the key word is obedience. Jonah 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, first of all, notice the divine message, verse 2. Here's the message that I give you, verse 1. Here is the word of God. And you and I need to take the word of God seriously. It's not the word of man. We must receive it as it is indeed in truth, the very word of the living God who made us and everything that exists. Proverbs chapter 2 says, if you will receive my words as my words and treasure them up in your heart, if you'll believe them, search for, for understanding as one would search for hidden treasure, cry aloud for help in your study. If you do these things, you'll find the knowledge of God. But you have to take the word of God seriously. And notice not only with the divine message, there is divine grace. Verse one, go a second time. In fact, it's fascinating to compare chapter one, the first three verses, and chapter three, the first three verses. The first verse says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That's chapter one. Now the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. Verse two of chapter one, go to that great city of Nineveh and preached against it for its wickedness has come up to me. Now chapter three, verse two, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. That's an interesting phrase. Perhaps it means more than just judgment. And then in chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah ran from the presence of God. But in chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. And to obey is better than to sacrifice. That's what we're told in 1 Samuel, chapter 15. God is more interested in you listening to him than in you sacrificing for him. Obedience is what God is looking for from your heart. And now Jonah is obeying, and he's on the way. And the Lord has told Jonah that he is going to give him a message, that God's presence will go with him, that will be, he'll be with him every step of the way. This guy who failed, I don't know about you, but there are many of us who wouldn't have given Jonah a second chance. You blew it big time. You should have known better. This isn't your first rodeo. And now here you are walking away from the presence of, I'm not gonna give you another chance. But God did. That's pure grace. And he says to Jonah, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you a message. What an amazing pledge of love 
that God would come to Jonah a second time. Think of human failure among some of God's greatest heroes. The problematic legacy of God's people is tragic. Abraham lied, and yet he's the father of the faithful. King David committed adultery and murder, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. Peter denied the Lord three times, but in each of these cases, after this horrendous failure, there was a deep change of heart and mind which caused their actions now to be totally different than they were before. And theologians like to give this action the term repentance. I love Jeremiah chapter 18, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, much like it did to Jonah. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. That's what God does with his prophets. He calls them. He fills them with truth. So Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he saw the potter working on the wheel, but the vessel that he was working on, the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred. It was imperfect, defective in his hands. And so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. One of the old translations has it this way. So he made it again into something different. And shall not I do that with you, O Israel, the Lord says? And shall not God do that with every one of us who once followed so faithfully, but we've gotten off track? We've run from the presence of God in our stubbornness and sin. We've gone away and God has come after us and brought us back to the place of repentance. And God is going to make us over again. There was a huge block of beautiful Carrara marble sitting in the courtyard of a famous Italian cathedral in Florence. Apparently, some artist had worked on it and marred it, and so it just sat there for almost 100 years. Everyone thought it was beyond hope. People would walk back and past it and mockingly say, there's the giant blunder. Until 1501, a young sculptor decided that he'd try his hand to make something beautiful out of the blunder. He measured the block, noticed its imperfections. He had in mind a shepherd boy and sketched the character. And he worked steadily for three years, skillfully using a chisel to shape the marble. And when he was finished, the figure that he had created was 18 feet high, weighed nine tons. And when a student of Michelangelo's saw his beautiful statue, David, he said, it lacks one thing, sir, speech. And this wonderful statue of David made from a ruined block of stone has become one of the greatest masterpieces of all time. And that's what God loves to do. Bring beauty out of ashes. 
something that's marred to make it again into something different. To forgive, renew, rebuild. Jonah repented. Better late than never. Someone has said you cannot repent too soon because you don't know how soon will be too late. Jonah finally repented and God responded. We sing a song, it's not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. And that's how God sees you today. It's not your past sin. He sees something different if you will repent. The cleansing, the rebuilding, the reshaping, the molding again into something different and useful and glorious and beautiful. Because God is a master at making something out of nothing and something healthy out of something broken. The right response is everything. Charles Swindoll once said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. How are you responding to this COVID situation that seems to continue on and on? I hope with patience. Oh, in the midst of tears, trust. And I hope you're looking at your own life to see what God is trying to reshape and remold. And I hope repentance is part of this time for you. So the first response is the prophet responding in a dramatically different way with obedience. The second response is the city, the city of Nineveh, and they respond with repentance. Now, I tell you, this is a greater miracle than the fish of chapter two. To see this wicked city bow before the Lord Almighty. I'm reading in verse three. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. By the way, it was founded by Nimrod according to Genesis chapter 10 and it was traditionally called the great city because of its influence, because of its size. It dwarfed every other place it seemed to be. And now we're seeing it's a very great city and it takes three days to walk through it. That could simply be an idiom for a very large city. Or it could mean that it takes you three days to walk around the circumference of this place. The city actually was eight miles in circumference, but if you include the outskirts, it was about 60 miles in circumference. It was very important, built near the Tigris River with splendor and beauty. Influenced everything of the world in that day. It had walls as high as 100 feet with 1,500 towers spread around the city. The walls so wide that three chariots could ride abreast on top of them. It was a great city. But remember in chapter one, it was great in wickedness too. Big cities often are. Big cities seem to offer everything. And sometimes the depth of depravity is seen everywhere along with the normal plundering and prostitution and witchcraft and commercial corruption that most cities, wicked cities have. The book of Nahum tells us that 
The city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, had developed an incredible system of cruel violence. Their ability to hurt other human beings in deplorable, unspeakable ways had been taken to an art. And their wickedness had piled up one sin after another, and it came before the eyes of the God of heaven. So Jonah now goes to this great city. Look at verse 4. Jonah began a day's journey into the city proclaiming an eight-word sermon. Now don't take that literally. I'm sure this is merely a summary. Don't hold me to eight words. Forty more days in Nineveh will be overthrown was the message of warning, the message of judgment. But think of Jonah's appearance. Now, I can't say this for sure, but only guessing that someone who spends three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, interacting with the gastric juices and whatever else may be going on in that horrible place, would he not come out with skin bleached? Maybe as smooth as rough leather? His hair white, if he had any left at all. I mean, what I mean to say is he would have been a startling appearance. Very fact that he begins to stroll through a heathen city when he's a Hebrew is quite a step of faith. And instead of giving them good, a good message, he gives them a warning. That's bold, and that's obedience. But notice, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Shocker. Now, apparently, Jonah had some intimation that this may happen, as we'll see in chapter 4, but reading from a historical viewpoint, from all the facts that we gather about this place, for them to turn on a dime back to God, well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, not just the weird appearance of a prophet, but the moving of the Spirit in God's heart, in in people's heart. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest in the city to the least, put on sackcloth. It's kind of like a burlap. You take off your nice clothes, and you put off these poor, rough uh, clothing to show that you are in mourning, and that you are ashamed, and you are humiliated. Verse 6 says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, which is the king of Assyria, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, and he put on sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Again, being in the dust is a place of humility. We came from dust, we're going back to dust, and to fall on your face in the dust shows real remorse. And then the king made this proclamation, verse 7, He said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Maybe God will yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. They knew the warning, and they turned. 
I think this is a wonderful portion of scripture to teach some of the basic steps of repentance. Here they are. Number one, you've got to believe God's word. When God says there's a coming judgment, you must believe it. When he says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, take it to heart. That's where repentance starts. Secondly, you need to humble yourself. I don't think you need to put on sackcloth, but there needs to be remorse. There needs to be contrition, brokenness, humility. Humble yourself. They called for a national day of prayer and fasting. I think it was recently one of our governors in, was it Louisiana, Kentucky, one of those called for a national day of prayer and fasting. That's a bold move in these times, and it was a bold move then. You can't delay your repentance when you believe God. You must immediately humble yourself before him. If we delay our repentance, our heart gets hard. It's like ice. The longer the temperature stays below zero, the harder the ice becomes, the more difficult it is to break. Thirdly, call urgently for help. This reminds me of the sailors in chapter one when they thought they were going to perish in the sea and they began to call to their gods first and then to Jehovah God to save them. We must call urgently, fervently, wholeheartedly, cry out to God to save you, to come to your aid. Fourthly, turn from your sin. Give up your evil ways. That's verse eight. Stop your violence. Get rid of your selfishness. Turn away from your immorality, your arrogance, your pride, your lying, your hatred. Any sin that you can think of, both sins that we commit when we shouldn't be doing them, and as Pastor Keith prayed, sins of omission, not doing what we should be doing. The list is long, and it goes from thoughts to words to actions to no action. Turn from your sin. Here's a, a little poem I learned long ago, and I think it really describes repentance well. Repentance is to leave the sins I loved before and show that I in earnest grieve by doing so no more. That's a great definition of repentance. Repentance is to leave the sins I loved before. You're leaving them, you're turning your back on them, and you earnestly grieve for offending a holy God and hurting others. And the way you show true repentance is to stop doing what you once did. Many weep for their sins. Unfortunately, not everyone purposes to leave them. And that's part of real repentance. When are you humble enough, someone will ask? The answer, when you're willing to leave your sins. And here's the fifth thing, hope for mercy. 
God is a merciful God. And apparently that was the second half of the sermon. It's not what is recorded here, but we find out that this was on Jonah's heart. And this was part of the message that God wanted Jonah to proclaim. They took the prophet's warning seriously and they acted accordingly. You say, how real was this repentance? Well, let me give you the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment day with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here. It may not have lasted through every generation. In fact, the book of Nahum tells us it didn't, but it did for this generation. And I think many were swept into the kingdom and it was a work of God. God is a God of mercy. And that brings us to our last, last response. The prophet responded with obedience. That was a dramatic change for him. The city responded with repentance. That was a dramatic change for them. And now God responds with compassion. And in one sense, that's not a dramatic change. He's always compassionate. But remember, he warned them. He said to Jonah in chapter 1, preach against their wickedness. And the king heard the message from Jonah, Nineveh will be overthrown, chapter 3, verse 4. The message of warning was there. But there's also a message of welcome of compassion we, we quoted from Jeremiah 18 a moment ago but listen to verse 7 and 8 if at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted or torn down and destroyed and if that nation I warn repents of its evil then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned the king said in verse 9, who knows, maybe God will relent with compassion and turn from judgment. And when you come to verse 10, when God saw what they had done, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. Just like it says in Jeremiah 18, and he held back the destruction that he had threatened. This is the gospel, my friend. This is the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, there's the warning, but will have everlasting life, there's the welcome. Come and welcome to Jesus. God is so compassionate. He does not want you to suffer for your sin. So he sent his son Jesus to die in your place and pay the penalty for all of your wrongs. And now if you will turn, believe him, humble yourself, turn away from your sin, call on him in faith, hope in his mercy, he will save you. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's God's character to be compassionate. We'll see that in chapter four. He loves to forgive. Notice in chapter one, verse two, God, God saw the sin of the city. And notice now in chapter three, verse 10, he sees their repentance and he delivers an entire city that was so wicked. Aren't you glad that God gives us mercy and grace? But it started with Jonah. 
Had he not repented, the Ninevites never would have heard the message. During the Welsh revival of 1904, Evan Roberts, who is known to be one of the leaders of it, had devised this motto. I'm sure it was spirit-inspired, but here was the motto of that revival, 1904, bend the church, save the people. What does that mean? Let the church repent first, and then they go with a message of salvation to the world. The right response is everything. Little Matthew was riding home one day from church in the car with his mother. Matthew was in the front seat. It was raining rather hard. He must have gotten something from Sunday school that day because he said, Mom, I just thought of something. Rain is like sin. And the windshield wipers are like God wiping away our sin. And the mom said, that's great. That's so perceptive of you. Then a moment later she said, son, but did you notice that it keeps raining? He said, yeah, but God keeps wiping. And the one thing in between the rain and the clear windshield, spiritually speaking, is repentance. Jesus' promise, whoever comes to me with an honest heart, a broken heart, a heart of belief and faith, I will never, never cast them out. And the right response is everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, lead us to the throne of grace in broken repentance that we might cast ourselves upon you for mercy and find eternal life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.